name is Joe Rocky, and unfortunately we're not doing our normal Tuesday display today as the holiday delayed us a little bit, but here we are nonetheless, Father, and you're actually in a different place than normal. You're over in Rome, so uh, why are you over there? <laughs> That's a great question. It's, uh, it's a joy to be in Rome, and I'm here because one of my responsibilities is that I work in a seminary. I'm the director of spiritual formation at St. Vincent Seminary, which is run by the Benedictines, and we help to form Benedictines to become priests. We also help to form diocesan seminarians to become priests. So some of the priests in the Diocese of Pittsburgh, where you are, Joe, mm -hmm. have been formed at St. Vincent Seminary. And seminary formation is a big deal. We're forming the next generation of uh, you know, the, the spiritual formators, the spiritual fathers in our parishes, and doing so much of the, the work in the church. And so there's a new guiding document for, for seminary formation for the church throughout the world, through the, for the universal church. That was published by the Congregation for Clergy. It's the first new document on seminary formation that they've published the whole guiding document uh, since since 1970 hmm. and they have uh, done a lot of work to figure out what's been happening the different national conferences the U US Conference of Catholic Bishops for example have published various national programs for priestly formation that have continued to update and all of the different countries have been doing that and the uh, Congregation for Clergy oversees all of that, but this is the first time they're really setting a direction for the Universal Church, just shifting some priorities, and really having learned a lot, and also learned from bad experiences. Mm. The Congregation for Clergy is responsible for handling requests for dispensations for priests who want to step out of active ministry. Things have gone wrong for various reasons. And so they want to impart the wisdom of this document and really communicate the logic behind it. And so they invited seminary formators uh, from English-speaking seminaries throughout the world. There are men here from all over the United States, as well as Ireland, England, Scotland, Australia, and the Philippines. And they're having a sequence of these courses for just uh, for other area, other language groups and even other areas in the English-speaking world to help to communicate the, the, this new kind of approach to seminary formation that is, uh, is so important. So that's a, it's, a, it's a good question, and I'm here for an important reason, I'd like mm -hmm. to think, and uh, important for our listeners, too, to understand this thing. Yeah, so, um, so a couple of questions came from that, and trying to go through the order you said it here. One of the things you said very early on, which I know that I don't fully know, and I'm, I'm sure that it's a common thing, what is the difference between diocesan priest and other kind of priest? Well, a diocesan priest is ordained for a diocese, and the vast majority of them work in parishes. Okay. And normally your parish priest is a diocesan priest. So... Uh, the other kind of priest would be a religious priest. Uh, that is to say, 
a priest who is also a member of a religious order, like the Franciscans or the Dominicans or the Benedictines or the Jesuits or mm -hmm. whatever. So I am not a diocesan priest. I am a so-called religious priest, a member of a religious order, and uh, I'm a Benedictine. And the Benedictines have their own formation to become Benedictines, and then those of us who are also ordained priests have to go through the seminary formation to become priests as well. Okay. So, um, that's a short answer. Short answer that might have made things more complicated. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but you still hold mass and all the other normal duties and do confession and the sacraments and all that, right? Yeah, it's, I'm a priest. Okay, yeah. So priesthood is priesthood. I'm just a priest and oh, gotcha. A religious. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's the that's really the, a better way to say it. I'm I'm more than a priest, you might say. I'm a priest and a consecrated religious. Gotcha. So it's just two different things. The one thing that they happen to have in common is that they're both special vocations in the church, and they both involve celibacy. And so that tends to blow people's minds how these are, you know, <laughs> whatever, uh, what, what these two categories are. But it's really two different vocations, both of which I have. Okay. okay. So, so it's, it's almost like the upgraded version, if I'm understanding this correctly. Yeah, I mean, it's, one shouldn't be, uh, yeah, it's just, a, it's, it's sort of like, um, you know, somebody is, uh, somebody is a father, and He's also a teacher, okay. or whatever. And it's anyway. There's a. It's there, there's a, yeah. Just another an additional vocation. There are there are consecrated religious who are not priests. Mm -hmm. There are priests who are not consecrated religious, and there are consecrated religious who are priests. <laughs> just a, so two a little different Venn diagram things. there, you, and you're right That's there right. in the middle of the two circles. Okay. That's right. Exactly. That's a great way to say it. So. So I, I, I one of the questions I've I've had, which this was perfectly leading into, is we always talk about during the masses having a request and praying for more people to join the priesthood, and very rarely is there ever a conversation about how does that actually work. And since you're at a conference, basically being able to to, to communicate this point um, how does it work you know what what is the, the process I know that earlier we talked about how you became a priest but as kind of a more someone out there trying to figure out what's going on more of maybe a, a more general route that that could make sense well it's a, it's a very serious process of formation and one of the things with this new ratio is the focus on, uh, well, there are four dimensions of formation, human formation, spiritual formation, intellectual formation, and pastoral formation. Okay. All four of those elements are critical. One has to have a solid humanity. So somebody who is able to relate with others, somebody who has interior freedom, uh, doesn't have addictions, or doesn't mm -hmm. have uh, maybe some obsessions or compulsions, or um, 
somebody who has the capacity to have for empathy, who can really understand and, and connect, who can be compassionate, who can uh, serve. So the human foundation is critical. Grace builds on nature. It's the classic principle that God doesn't destroy our nature and replace it with some sort of spiritual stuff, <laughs> but he builds the spiritual, he builds the the saint on top of the human. Uh, saint is more human. Okay. So, uh, but the spiritual formation to really cultivate a relationship with God and a deep spiritual life, a deep life of prayer, a deep understanding of uh, how the spiritual life develops in one's own person and, and in, in others. Pastoral, knowing how to share these things, how to share this formation with others, uh, how to develop that in other people. And the intellectual formation, of course, you have to know the faith. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of studying involved to know the tradition of the church, to know the content of the faith. And so all four of those dimensions are involved in priestly formation and seminary. So it seems like most of that, um, well, at least the entire intellectually side, you, it seems like you can learn that from however you learn, whether it be through a book, reading, that, that seems directly teachable. How do you teach someone to become better with their human side? That is a great question. You hit the nail on the head. That's a, a really critical question. And even I want to appreciate your uh, summary of the intellectual formation, but also add a little complexity to that. The intellectual formation can't be separated from the other dimensions of formation because we really need to learn the content in a way that we can also pray it. This is our humanity, that these aren't abstract concepts. Okay. Actually able to communicate it pastorally. And so even the intellectual formation needs to be woven together with all of those other aspects of formation. So the, the critical formators for human, spiritual, pastoral, and also intellectual, come through uh, several forms of accompaniment. We have formators in the seminary who are dedicated to seminary formation. They're in community with the seminarians. We all live in one place mm -hmm. in the seminary. We pray together, we eat together, we recreate together. There are classes together. And then each seminarian is, is assigned a formator who accompanies him in the process, who talks to him regularly, who kind of pays attention to him, takes him under his wing to a certain extent, who will work with him and also evaluate him. The whole staff does that, and then one individual is kind of particularly in charge of that. So kind of like a set-aside mentor type deal. That's right. Okay. Uh, and his work is all in what we call the external forum. So that's the sort of thing that the whole seminary is also, he, he communicates his observations in the form of evaluations. That goes back to the bishop of the seminarian uh, who is involved in the process because these are his future priests, God willing. Mm -hmm. And then each seminarian also has a spiritual director. And we call those meetings the internal forum because the relationship with the spiritual director is absolutely confidential. Nothing goes out of that. Mm -hmm. And so that gives the seminarian a space of freedom, freedom of conscience to be able to say anything 
and not to be afraid the spiritual director doesn't vote he doesn't offer any observations he doesn't make any evaluations he doesn't do anything in the public in the external forum mm -hmm. he's a safe space for the seminarian to work out his issues as they come up his questions his doubts his fears the things that are happening generally goes together with confession and and then spiritual direction really uh, that becomes an important part of the spiritual formation which involves a lot of the integration of the other dimensions that it's in our relationship with Christ that everything comes together the spiritual director may also help in some elements of the human formation he's able to to hear more of what's happening in the interior of the seminary and more of what's taking place in his conscience and able to help him um, maybe seek some help in the external forum uh, from a psychologist, for example, from a, a group of, uh, of seminarians, from somebody else who could provide some advice. But, uh, so through the, through the format, the, the mentor, the, the external formator, through the spiritual director, and then also through the community, the seminary community in an immediate way, and also the people of God in a broader way, mm -hmm. the family. The, the pastoral assignment. Every seminarian goes out to do some hospital ministry or to visit some nursing homes or to do a little bit of CCD teaching or to take time in a parish uh, for a whole year or just for a summer, for weekends. A seminarian has a family of his own, of course. And so also the, that's, the formation comes that way and we get feedback in all of these ways. If the seminarian has a problem, interacting with with women or something then we hear about that well he gets you know all flustered or he you know he finds he's just staring or he's uh he runs away or he averts his eye you know whatever it is mm -hmm. we get this that kind of feedback and then we work with him well what's going on there maybe we take that into spiritual direction and in that context he's able to say what the fears are or what the abuse was or what the difficulty was or anyway so mm -hmm. so it, really through this kind of accompaniment uh from several perspectives and then also through the, the community, these dimensions of formation. And then we have different workshops and conferences and uh, speaking about what healthy psychosexual integration looks like, what a healthy understanding of obedience looks like, what a, a generosity and service looks like, what the kind of graciousness that a, a priest ought to have toward his people looks like, um, what, what sort of pastoral programs and ways to communicate the faith and uh, a proper warmth and compassion and anyway all of these mm -hmm. different elements so we have we have you know, some workshops and presentations on these things that are a part of the, the formation as well so the whole process of formation now according to the new ratio will be an eight-year process okay so all of the priests right now it's generally a six-year process in some cases, it's already an eight-year process for guys who start college as seminarians. Okay. So they do four years of college seminary and then four years of major theology, major seminary. But I, I for example, I had a six-year process because I had already graduated from college, but I still needed two years of pre-theology or what they call now the discipleship phase, and then four years of major um, major seminary, what they now call the configuration, being configured to Christ. Well, so, anyway. Yep. You said you went to Penn State, right? Yes. Okay. This this might be an odd question, but what at Penn State 
translates to two years of already having um, down the road of priests. Uh, of priests, I guess that's why I'm saying I, I get the uh, four year, your four years of education there, and, and but how does? I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I know that if, if I go to go get my master's in accounting somewhere, I'm going to get direct application from the bachelor's degree I have in accounting to go towards my master's. What, 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 how does that translate? Because it seems that, that in many ways you're preparing a completely different lifestyle that might have nothing to do with anything that they teach there. Right. Well, the, the old, so uh, the old Ratio Fundamentalis, the old document guiding priestly formation, mm -hmm. which is still in effect in our country. So it's going to take a couple of years to uh, provide a particular application of the new ratio for the United States. But the old ratio required six years of formation, two years of what they used to call pre-theology, and then four years of theology. So uh, that's what I did. I did two years of pre-theology, four years of theology. Okay. There, there's a, another thing that happens in the United States, which they call college seminary someone enters seminary at age 18 okay. in college and he goes through a four-year college program and essentially he's getting a four-year degree at the same time that he's doing two years of pre-theology okay so he's learning other skills does, that people would get in college like accounting or something yeah I mean I went through four years of college mm -hmm. he went he goes through basically two years of college and two years of pre-theology. I went through four years of college and two years of pre-theology. Okay. So that's a different way to look at it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, he's getting an, an undergraduate degree. It's a, because you, you have your general education credits and you have, you know, I mean, uh, and then the philosophy on top of that. The, primarily, the primary intellectual dimension of the, of the two years of pre-theology is philosophy. Okay. And so you're basically getting well, at this point, you're essentially getting a master's in philosophy if you're doing the full course. So that's, you know, if you were to go get a master's in philosophy, it would take you a couple of years on top mm -hmm. of your four-year bachelor's degree. That makes sense. I'd also imagine you guys have to do a lot of uh, psychology as well during that process. We, we, don't, we don't actually study psychology. Really? Um, we do a little bit of pastoral counseling in, uh, in major theology. Yeah, I mean, we sort of get a lot of psychology just because it's, you know, for our own self-awareness and it's something that's kind of ambient. We become pretty in tune with humanity, but uh, no, we don't. We don't become psychologists. So that's surprising me because I figured that that would be really part of it is because you're you're teaching everyone every day. You know, you're out there talking to people and I just figured that that's psychology would have played a big part in how to be more effective at that yeah it comes in kind of sideways as part of our human formation that we get to know people and as I said we uh, at least at St. Vincent Seminary we have two semesters of pastoral counseling mm -hmm. and then it's a more explicit uh, teaching of how we do that I also I teach a class in spiritual direction which in a kind of sideways version incorporates uh, some psychology, but psychology focuses a lot on pathology, and a priest doesn't really need to know 
what schizophrenia looks like and, mm. and what uh, whatever bipolar disorder looks like and how to evaluate these things and how to treat them. And he needs to know enough psychology to know that somebody has a pathology and then to send them to a psychologist. <laughs> but he doesn't need to know all the details. And again, just part of the human formation that we would understand people well enough and understand how to interact with people and that some of those kinks get worked out in the personal accompaniment yeah. that is involved in seminary formation. That, that makes right, that, that makes a lot more sense. Yeah, I, I guess I did, when, I, when I always think of psychology, it's, you know, how, how does people think and all that to relate to them. I guess that makes sense. The deeper you get into it, you're dealing more with the things that are going wrong. Uh, you know, like doctors, they learn how to fix stuff by learning when everything is wrong and I guess that makes sense as you mm. think that through. So, well, and in terms of how to think, it's really a philosophical question. So epistemology mm. is the area of philosophy that has to do with human knowing. So psychology is a, uh, a science that, that tries to um, apply a scientific method in order to discern some things about the human person. But if you have a good philosophy and a good theology, you're getting a lot about the human person, just not using the scientific method. It's things that would be verified by the scientific method. But anyway, people get a PhD in psychology, right? A doctor mm -hmm. of philosophy degree in psychology. Oh. <laughs> so psychology builds on, on philosophy and on a lot of the understanding of the human person and uh, ways of knowing and nature and uh, natural law, things like that. So the priest should be getting all of those things, you know, a good foundation of those things in, in his uh, philosophy studies. Yeah, as you kind of go through those four things, they they seem to weave into pretty much everything as, as you go through there. They would, weave into would, everything. It would, which certainly makes sense why it would take eight years or six years now, but eventually eight years to make it happen. But, I, I so I, I understand that, that, you, that there, but also, at the same time, there's not enough of you. Wouldn't there be an emphasis on figuring out how to make the process quicker, um, just as a general management standpoint question, is the fact is, you know, we need to get more of you, but we're increasing the amount of time it takes to get on the field. Yeah, the, the basic attitude, and those things have come up explicitly in this conference, the, the basic attitude is if we have more that are worse, worse formed, that creates more problems. And if we have a few who are saints, that does a lot of good. And a few who are saints attract more. Part of the problem if you just take numbers and you get some weird characters is it drives people away. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to be like weird Father X, <laughs> who is kind of creepy, who doesn't understand how to interact with people, who's got some issues, who doesn't know how to speak coherently, who, who is a, a poor pastor and is narcissistic and self-absorbed, you know, and so that actually drives away vocations. So maybe you get an, a wave of initial vocations, but then you drive away the next generation. But if you attract a few saints... A few saints make a lot of vocations, and really giving men the formation they need to be great priests, not just a bunch of mediocre functionaries, uh, is really worth the investment. That that makes a ton of sense. You do you do quality over quantity, and 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 it will work out. 
So one of the things you've been emphasizing here today is is becoming a saint, and and why don't we just continue down there? Um, a, why is that so important? And B, how do you do it? <laughs> well, again, it builds on a good humanity, so human formation is important, and uh, ultimately, a, a saint. I always like to come back to this point because I think it's easy to lose track of it, but a saint is one who is holy. It's actually the origin of the word saint, sanctus in Latin, which means holy, the mm -hmm. holy one. And holiness, as we understand it in Christianity, is proportionate to love. A saint is a lover. A saint is one who loves like Christ. And I think that's so important to emphasize that because that helps us realize that a saint is not plastic and or porcelain, not abstract, not just sort of a, a miracle worker or somehow superhuman like Superman who has magical powers. But a saint is very human and very filled with love. So how do we grow in love? Well, we grow in love by loving for one thing, and actually we grow in love by being loved first and responding with love. And then, of course, we're, not, we're only going to grow in love to a certain human limited degree. For example, I love my parents, but I hate my neighbor. Mm -hmm. you know? we'll, we'll, or I, I love Americans, but I hate Russians, you know, or I... Uh, I, I love certain people who love me back. I love, so we, we go from a kind of mercenary love to a more generous love by recognizing God's love for us, by opening our hearts to receive His love, to realize that His love is unconditional. I'm not better than the Russians or my neighbors or anybody else. In fact, I don't deserve to be loved at all, but God, by His graciousness, chooses to love me and when I recognize that that helps me to soften and to expand my heart a little bit towards those who are not very impressive or interesting or whatever to me and then I extend my love that way so prayer is a critical component because prayer is where I open to receiving God's love and where I also love him in return and where I can bring other people in to love them even in the context of prayer and then certainly to live that out in my, my daily action. So being a saint is about being a lover and we grow in love by growing in our knowledge, our trust in God's love for us and then the way that we exercise that love, we practice that love in, in our relationships. Okay, well, that, that makes a ton of sense. So how do you go about I guess as as initial question about recruiting the right people to bring in to the seminary that are going to be able to do as you just described. Well, it's a uh, there are a lot of facets to that process, I guess, and uh, I'm I haven't been directly involved with uh, with quite as much of that, but you know, there's one thing of of somebody the question arising in someone's heart and. There are people who say, yeah, you know, I thought when I was in seventh grade about being a priest, but then I, you know, I got involved with girls in high school, and then I just buried the whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes people will say, no one ever asked me. 
sometimes people will say, uh, yeah, you know, I saw my parish priest and I thought, I really want to be like him. He is amazing. He's a real father to me. And so a lot of different things, different human ways that God stirs vocations in men's hearts and then asking the questions and exposing them to times of prayer and helping them to discern is all a part of the process. And then there's a screening involved too, right at the outset. If people have certain issues, certain human issues, certain psychological issues, they need to work through those. Some, not everybody is fit for even starting seminary right away. And so that, that's all discerned up front as well. So is it kind of a screening process throughout all six, virtually eight years, or is it kind of an upfront screening? Great question. Yeah, another great question. Uh, it's one of the points that they also clarified and that the ratio clarifies that the, the discernment would be primarily in the first three years. Uh, and, and then once the seminarian enters into the configuration and the pastoral stage of formation, he's really set on, I'm going to become a priest, and now I'm really going to live with Christ and be formed like him. Now, it's there's still a chance for him to decide otherwise, but he's basically making the intention, the clear decision internally. Now I'm moving forward with this intention. I'm ready to, to set my eyes on priesthood, and I'm just going to live as if that's a consequence of, of my, my seminary. But yeah, pr primarily the first three years would be a time of discernment. The last five years would be um, more focused on the configuration, growing in those priestly virtues. Perfect, perfect. I have a ton more questions about this that we're going to have in our next podcast. So I, I thank everyone for giving us a little bit of time here in your busy day. And we thank you always for telling your friends about us and helping us grow. And please continue clicking subscribe and leaving us the great reviews that you have. And have a great week, everyone. And we'll talk to you again next week.